Dear friends gathered at his amazing love, uh, why don't you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we ask for joy and we ask for peace today. And we know you can give these to us through the preaching of the word. And so work in us your good work today to increase our faith. Give us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus so that beholding Jesus, we're never the same. We are changed and we're crafted in your likeness. Work powerfully through this preaching. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Morning once again. I don't know about you, but I love summertime. I like that uh, we had a couple sunny days. I love grilling out. I love everything that comes with summer. And, and one of the things that I really appreciate about summer is watching a movie, uh, going to a summer blockbuster. And to have a raise of hand, who has gone to the movies this summer yet? All right, so we're in good company. And they're awesome movies. You've got Man of Steel, you've got Star Trek, um, you have Despicable Me 2, and you've got Monsters University. Just a great time. Well, this past week, I actually took uh, my family to the movies. Uh, we went to see The Croods. And uh, The Croods is actually about some cave dwellers. You're like, well, how can we see that? We went to the uh, dollar movies. We saved a buck. It was great. It was great. Um, and uh, so, so that's how we went. And if it's okay, I wanted to show you a clip of a movie I saw. Um, I think it's, it's going to really help us out today. So, so here is a, a clip from The Croods. All right. I'm Guy. Guy. And this is Belt, cook, conversationalist, navigator. Also, keeps my pants up. What are pants up? Who are you? Uh, Eep. Let me clarify, Eep, the world is ending. What? I'm calling it the end. We gotta get to high ground. Come with me. I can't. Okay, okay. Here. If you survive, uh, call me. I had to laugh because this whole last week, Nadia was doing dun dun dun. It's clever. Well, the premise of the movie, if you could hear from Guy, is that the world is ending. And so you saw, you know, eruptions of, of, of fire through the earth and big earthquakes and everything's being destroyed. And the question is, will they survive? Will they make it through this impending doom, the end? We saw Guy give Eep a shell and one scene where she blows in it and she, she gets rescued. And, and I guess you have to see the movie to see whether they do or do not escape impending doom. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I couldn't help but think of the Word of God for today as I saw this movie and I reflected. We're, we're again in the third week or fourth week of our series on Moses, and we've been learning a lot about him. Uh, last week, if you're with us, we learned about excuse making, and, and we learned that when we're prone to make excuse, we should draw our attention away from ourselves and to the Lord because he can equip us for whatever he's calling us to do. Well, today Moses goes into Egypt, and he, he does what, Pharaoh, what, what God wants him to do. He speaks to Pharaoh and says, you better let the people of Israel go and worship. Pharaoh does not listen. And because of this, dun, 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 and that's what we get to see. Today we are going to see what God brings as far as impending doom, as far as the end for them. And it makes that cartoon seem, well, cartoonish. Because what God will do through the ten plagues is, is big, it's massive. It is a display of might and power. And the question is, will the Israelites be saved? Because they too could be under the threat of this impending doom and, and most severely the, 
the death of a firstborn son or animal. But God gave him directions how to be spared. It wasn't a shell or something else. Let's read from it what God's directions were to be spared from the end. Exodus chapter 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Very specific. Well, the animals you choose must be a year old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care that until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This made me laugh this past week, but, but here God is saying basically it's, it's good to grill out and it's not good to have leftovers. And I, I just really related to that. But, um, anyway, that's a tangent. Uh, this is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the word, and, and this was God's plan for them to be spared of impending doom, the end. They were to take a lamb, they were to slaughter it, and they were to paint their door frames with the blood of that lamb so that the destroyer who was coming would see that blood and not destroy them. We get to learn today from that the ten plagues today and God's great deliverance. So let's consider these words. I have an exercise for you. I wanted you to fill in the blank of this statement. Hell hath no fury like... Very good, a woman scorned. And this was penned in the 1700s by William Congreve, an English poet. And, and for me, I couldn't find this on Wikipedia, but I think he has experiential knowledge of this. I think somewhere along the way, he probably double-crossed or cheated on a girl, and I'm not sure what she did, but it was something enough to make him write this, right? And I consider the, the fury of a woman scorned uh, through the lens of Carrie Underwood. Uh, she had a song that said, if I was scorned, I would dig my heels into the side of a pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive and carve my name into leather seats and take a Louisville slugger to both headlights. And Man, I guess I, I don't want to do that to any woman. Woman scored. Watch out. Watch out. Well, I tell you that even though that seems bad, and, and, and maybe you've had experiential knowledge, I'm not sure, what is even worse is what we get to consider today. That the wrath of a scorned woman is nothing compared to the wrath and the judgment of God. Now, as we get into our lesson, uh, let's consider what Moses is doing. Moses was a reluctant leader who finally listens to what God tells him to do. So he goes in the right time, says the right words, and it does not go the right way. 
<laughs> this is a tangent. This could be a whole other sermon. But, but I want you to know in your faith life, if you've ever done something in the right time, in the right way, it could still not go the way you think it should go. I think at those times, God is still testing our faith to see just how far we'll go out of love for him and, and refining our faith that way. So that's, that's Moses. But Moses goes as Pharaoh, the people should leave. They should be able to go out and worship God. And hear Pharaoh's response. Watch out, this, this is a bad response. Here's what he says. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Now, this is worse than telling a fellow coworker you're fired. This is worse than telling your boyfriend or girlfriend, let's just be friends. This is bad, dear friends. For what he incurs is now the wrath of God. And God has a response to this. God, when he hears and he knows this response from Pharaoh, look what he records in Scripture. Chapter later, it says, Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Twice it says, God's hand is mighty. And you're right. And we're going to see that. So if it's okay, we are going to consider a little of God's might. We are going to go through now the ten plagues, if that's all right. Um, and even if it's not all right, I'm going to keep preaching. So um, we're going to consider the ten plagues. Well, the first of them, Moses goes to the Nile River, which is huge for their economy. Waters all the shrubs as their clean drinking water source. And that first plague is to turn all that whole water system into blood. Now, what this means is that they were economically crippled. There was no clean drinking water, no Fiji bottles filled with clean drinking water at the Egyptian grocery store. And to put things in perspective, I, I see the forecast here in Chicago is going to be pretty hot this next week. It's going to be good summer, but hot. Can you imagine going this whole week without having any faucet that, that has clean water, without going to the grocery store and buying drinking water, no water available? That, that'd, be, that'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? That's what they're facing in a similar climate. Well, not only this, but all the fish in the river would die. So there's another food source just gone, wiped out. Fish is gone in the grocery stores. Not only this, but it's going to smell. If you've ever been around one dead fish, that's enough. But the whole place is going to stink of these dead fish. Now, for me, after this first plague, I'd be done. All right, you go. That's it. I just want some water. Not Pharaoh. And so the plagues go on. Next, there is a plague of frogs. Now, this year I have been watching a lot of Duck Dynasty. And they love frogs. And they'll skin those things and eat the frog legs. And I'm sure that's good. And... And yet, I don't even think these guys would like this many frogs. They couldn't keep up because these were not just frogs in the forest. These were frogs in your bed, in your house, in your shower. I was in Florida this last year and coming out of a, a, a room and outside and, and I had a frog jump on my hand. I didn't know what it was. It didn't feel so good. I wouldn't want to sleep next to frogs. They're kind of slimy and weird. Nothing should feel that way. That's frogs. And they're everywhere. Can't make enough frog legs. We're not done yet. God sends gnats. Gnats remind me of my time in South Carolina. I was a, a, a vicar in South Carolina in the Charleston area. And I'll never forget standing by the ocean and at night and the lights were on and I couldn't see a thing um, around me, these, these things around me, but I, I felt my skin just being gnawed at. But I couldn't see what was gnawing me. In South Carolina, we call gnats no seams, And no seams sure could, sure could eat you. They, they, they sure were noms. They, they, they got me. 
Um, and so that's what they had, as fine as the dust everywhere, just eating and gnawing at their skin. Well, if that's not gross enough, then there's flies. I have like four flies in my house, and I'm annoyed as all get out. They are everywhere, everywhere in Egypt, flies. Well, next he's going to affect their economy. Next is the death of all the livestock. So now when you go to the Egyptian grocery store, there is no water, and now there's no hamburgers or sausage for the grill. No meat, my friends. It's gone. After this, affecting all the economy, he now brings it more personal. And there are boils. Now, I'm trying to research what boils were, and I guess if you've ever had a blood blister that went to the bone and was like, felt like a bruise and only felt better unless it popped or was lanced off, that's kind of boils. All over your body, completely painful, they would burst open. In fact, a guy in the Bible named Job had boils all over his body, and, and for, to help him out in his bad situation, he would scratch himself with uh, shards of pottery. Now, it has to be pretty bad if you're going to, for help, scratch yourself with shards of pottery, right? And then I consider what it's like when I am in pain. When I am in pain, I want nothing else bad to happen, especially when I have a migraine. You ever have a migraine? I want all the lights off. Everything has to be quiet. Please, just don't disrupt me because the pain is bad enough, right? Not for the Egyptians, though. After their, their pain for boils, what comes next is hail, destructive hail ruining all their crops now, all the veggies, all the fruit, that's all being destroyed and pounding on their house. They can't get any sleep in the midst of their pain. Well, after the uh, hail for the livestock, in comes locusts. And here, economically crippling again. So now your Egyptian food, you don't have water, you don't have meat, and you have no veggies and fruit. And um, I guess swarms of locusts are unfortunately common still. I was researching this, and in Madagascar this past May, there was a huge swarm of locusts. Um, I thought I'd show you a video of just how devastating locusts could be. Just a minute video on, on what locusts can do. For three quarters of an hour, a giant swarm of locusts about 15 kilometers long crosses Madagascar's National Route 7. This road is normally popular with tourists who come for the breathtaking views. But today they're observing a natural disaster, a plague of locusts which has already destroyed half of the island's crops. They can create a lot of damage. They eat the pastures and then also the rice and the corn, which is about to be harvested. According to experts, there are currently 100 swarms across Madagascar, made up of about 500 billion locusts. And they get through around 100,000 tons of vegetation every single day. And so they're just a little on the devastation of locusts. And so now Egypt is just desolate. They're hurting. They have no food and water. It's just dark, and that's the next plague. In the midst of their emptiness, in the midst of the desolation, comes just a period of pitch black darkness to match their mood. And finally, which we all remember and probably the most significant, none of these equals that last plague, which is the death of a firstborn. In Egypt, there would be the death of every firstborn son and every firstborn animal that was left. And I can't imagine what it was like in Egypt, as usually when we're in despair, we try to have help from our neighbors or friends, and yet everyone's in the same situation experiencing this death. Now, 
What can we learn from the plagues? I don't know about you, but I, I couldn't help but think of what the wisest of the wise wrote. King Solomon wrote a book called Proverbs, and he started this wise book with a simple phrase, this nugget of gold, and he said this. He said that the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of the wisdom. Because the fear of the Lord is exactly what Pharaoh did not have. And this is why he was experiencing such devastation. To disobey and to reject God's will has consequences. And dear friends, I want to be real with you. We talked about the wrath of a scorned woman, and, and to be serious, it is nothing compared to the wrath of God. And still today, for all who reject God, there is judgment because we are sinful people. In the book of Colossians, it says, because of these are sins, the wrath of God is coming. And to be honest, what hell is described as, and hell is a real place, is scarier than any of the plagues we've discussed. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you the truth. This is God who has true wrath over disobedience, over a rejection of him. Now, if you're new to Amazing Love, um, I know this is probably coming at you a mile a minute. Um, I also recognize this view of a God who punishes for sin isn't popular. But as a pastor, um, I would be doing a disservice telling you what you want to hear. I have to be true to what I know about God and true to Scripture today. And what you need to know is his wrath over sin and rejection is real. And it is scary. And it is thorough. But if we're going to go there, then I also believe to be fair to you and to be true to you, we better dwell deep and long also on the love of God. Because though his judgment is real and long, his love and his goes, grace goes further and it goes deeper and it's what truly defines him. And so I believe if you're willing to see the length of his judgment, you will appreciate the far length of his love today. And that's what we get to focus on now, the great deliverance he has in store. And so to talk about this, I wanted to ask you, what is something that really gives you pleasure and high delight? What is something that really makes you tick, that really defines you and gives you joy? Some of you might say, well, I, I just love going fishing. Love being on the boat, love catching fish. Some of you might say, well, I just love the pool. Love being in the water, especially when it's warm. Some of you might say, well, I love the movies. Uh, for me lately, it's Fleckenstein's Bakery. Uh, they have apple fritters that are just awesome. They give me high delight and joy and, and just make me tick. And it's a good day when I got an apple fritter. All right, kind of silly. I want you to see what makes our God tick and what is at his heart, what gives him pleasure and high delight today. Is that, is that okay? Here's his heart, dear friends. From Ezekiel it says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? And that is a rhetorical, No, not at all. I hate that. I don't want that. I don't desire that declares the Lord. Rather, am I not pleased? Or I am pleased? Or I take high delight? I rejoice in when people turn from their ways and they live when they are delivered, when they know of forgiveness. What pleases God is not the condemnation of anyone, though that is real, but it is the salvation of everyone, the deliverance of everyone. That is what makes our God tick, dear friends. And what I love about God is he's not the type of God who says, well, you know, kind of like we do, we say, oh, I love golfing, but I haven't been golfing in like a year, right? That's not really being active in what I love. 
What God says He loves, He is active in. And He makes sure it is possible that what He delights in could happen for each and every person. In fact, to how many could it happen? First uh, Timothy tells us this, that He wants all people to be saved. That's His desire, that no one would be missed. He wants to delight in everyone who turns to Him for deliverance. And that means me, He wants delivered. That means you, who He knows your name, He knows how many hairs on your head, He wants delivered. That means your family members, He wants delivered. He wants your co-workers, He wants those in Saudi Arabia, in Finland, Antarctica, everywhere in between, delivered, my friends, because He takes pleasure in that. And He makes it possible. Just as He made it possible back then. And so let's get into the deliverance of the Passover. Let's consider it. I believe that what we have recorded in Scripture, and all of Scripture is important, but there are certain portions that are more important and, and should be emphasized more, I believe. This is one of those portions. Because in the whole of the Old Testament, I think it makes my top three of how we are delivered. It makes my top three. If you're wondering my others, I think Abraham, who had to sacrifice Isaac, was another great picture of deliverance. Uh, what Jesus would do. And also Moses would have a bronze snake and they look at that bronze snake and be delivered. This is my number two of the picture of deliverance we have. And even though his name isn't mentioned, I believe this section is all about Jesus, the Savior, the Deliverer. So let's consider some of those details. When they had to, to sacrifice an animal, what were they sacrificing? Did you find it? They were sacrificing lambs. Lambs. Yeah, and this is a common picture for Jesus Christ. In fact, fast forward to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was baptizing and teaching. He saw Jesus walking by. You know what he says? He says, look, the blank of God, the, the Lamb of God. And what does that Lamb do? He takes away the sin of the world. And what is taking away the sin of the world? That means that the wrath is no longer yours because if your sins are forgiven, there is no punishment due. It has been paid. That is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Was they, they chose this lamb. He also was very specific on what type of lamb. It couldn't be sickly. It couldn't be the one that they wanted to get rid of, the broken leg. Rather, they were to take an unblemished lamb. And so basically, the, the, the best of your flock, that's what they were supposed to choose. The finest of the fine. A couple corollaries I see here with Jesus. That you need to know when the Heavenly Father gave His Son he gave his finest. He gave extravagantly. He gave big. And what we also see is we see the character of who Jesus would be. That he was a lamb without blemish or defect. He was without sin, it says. In Hebrews it says he was tempted in every way but had no sin. In 1 Peter it says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. This is Jesus who is completely holy. And that is a comfort to you and I because we are unholy. We have sin in our life. And yet, through the grace of God, he says that whoever believes in him, that holiness of Jesus is given to you through faith. That holiness that Jesus won is yours so that when God looks down from heaven, he doesn't have to punish. He has no wrath because he only sees holy people through faith in him. That is yours through the Lamb. We're not done yet. Still with me? They were to slaughter this lamb at twilight. Twilight when the sun went down. When Jesus died and gave his life on a good Friday, the sun too was covered. And then they were to shed the blood and they were to paint their door frames with it. 
And when that happened, the, the destroyer who was coming in would pass over them. Blood is still significant. In the New Testament, it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Which means that when Jesus shed his blood, there is forgiveness for you and me. And as the children of God were delivered that day from the impending doom, I want you to know you have been delivered. Because the blood of the Lamb covers you. It's over your doorframe. It's over your house. You are forgiven and his child. And what I love, dear friends, is what we get to do today. You see, we've set up the Lord's Supper today. And I think this is the new and nobler Passover. Where Jesus, who was the Lamb of God, says, here, take my body. And at that first Passover, there was no other lamb because he was the lamb. Take my body. I'm sacrificed for you. And then he took the cup, which was red, just like blood. And they probably imagined, they were remembering the Passover, the, the red over the door frames. And, and Jesus says, as you consider that, I want you to know this is my blood. And this blood is shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. So you are assured that you're delivered of the wrath of God, that you are covered, that you are holy. I hope that you receive the Lord's Supper today with such joy and peace to know that you too have been delivered. This is awesome, dear friends. And so what should we say in response to this? What should we do in response to this? You know, I, I, I thought a lot about uh, a story that made he headline news this past week. And I hadn't referred to it before because it's kind of a just a down story about uh, the three who were kidnapped in Cleveland. Well, the reason I want to speak about the three who were kidnapped in Cleveland is because they spoke out this past week. It was their first public statement, and it, was, it made YouTube. It made, uh, you can log in and watch what they say. And most incredibly was uh, this lady, Michelle Knight, and her confession of faith, um, and, and what she said about her 11 years as she was basically under captivity as she was kidnapped. And she said many remarkable things, and one thing she said is that I was walking hand in hand with my best friend, which I believe was a reference to God, and in doing so, she could get through. But then she also had this to say about her experience, and, and just as she reflected, she said, God has a plan for all of us. The plan that he gave me was to help others that have been in the same situations as I have been, and to know that there is someone out there to lean on and to talk to. I just am astounded by this faith that bore the unimaginable, but bore it with faith that said, you know what, God was with me walking hand in hand, and because I am delivered and I'm looking forward to my brand new life, I am now in a position to help others through my testimony. You and I have been delivered. And now the question is, are you going to help others who are in the same situation? Are we going to commit to reaching the lost with the love of Christ? I believe that's what we're here for, dear friends. To come with the full measure of God's grace and to let them know how much they need that because of the coming wrath and yet to let them know how full that measure of love is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I invite you to join with me to help others in this task. To keep it up because we've been delivered and set free. Let's see who else can be delivered and set free through the blood of that Lamb, our Savior Jesus. Amen.
Please stand. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding may guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.